Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 281 of the Ask the Coach show, where Ping Seals helps you improve your table tennis. In today's show, we'll talk about whether you should change your bat depending on your opponent, discuss how many faults are acceptable during a match, playing against a sibling, space needed for a table, and how to prepare for a tournament. We'll also have the tip of the week, drill of the week, tournament wrap, and everyone's favourite segment on this day. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, I'm joined by Supercoach Alois Rosario. Welcome, Alois. Hey, good morning, Jeff, and uh, thank you, and uh, welcome to all the listeners. Indeed, indeed. Uh, you know, it's an exciting show we've got planned, Alois. Lots of great information for people. Uh, yes. I'm excited. Indeed, and and probably a special hello to all our female listeners today because that leads us on to this on this day because today is International Women's Day, Jeff. Absolutely, yeah. So International Women's Day, yeah. So tell us a bit about International Women's Day. Yeah, it's just an inter- uh, internationally recognised day to, uh, I suppose, support women to um, to think about gender equality. So, you know, I, th- I think um, for, from our point of view, it's about, you know, recognising the uh, the great women table tennis players that we have, and and you know, it's often uh, not recognised as well as the men's game. Um, yeah, and and I think that's something that we just need to address all the time. You know that uh, you know the, the Ding Nings of this world are just absolutely super athletes. Um, you know, Ding Ning, Lu Xi Wen, uh, Feng Chen Wei. Um, yeah, absolutely. And in, in the past... You and know, the young stars like, coming up, Mima Ito. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so just let's pay a little bit of attention to uh, to the female athletes um, in our sport and uh, and just give them the recognition that they truly deserve, you know, the absolute, uh, absolute peak of their game. Yeah, and on a kind of slightly related note, in our city, Alloys, Melbourne, They've just made the decision that on the crossing lights, we have like a little green man whenever you're allowed to cross the lights, and they've just decided to um, make half of them uh, silhouettes of a woman, so for gender equality. Yeah, interesting move. Um, I don't know whether that's, you know, always, you know, so necessary, but yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's just that recognition. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think they're just going to roll them out as they need replacing so it shouldn't cost any extra. And, yeah, I guess, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Exactly. Good. Yeah, very good. All right, well, there you go. Hello to all our female listeners and, yeah, happy International Women's Day. All right, what, um, do you have any other interesting uh, occurrences on this day? Yeah, well, um, a couple of days ago was... Uh probably Australia's best female athlete's birthday. The 6th of March was Jan Fang Lei and, and, um, and uh, Jan has represented uh, Australia at several Olympic Games, uh, you know, won numerous Australian um, titles, Commonwealth Games medals. So, um, yeah, so congratulations, Jan Fang Lei, reaching another milestone. We won't mention the number, but uh, Jan Fang Lei's birthday on the 6th of March, just a couple of days ago. Happy birthday, Jan. Yeah, uh, yeah, great um, athlete for Australia over many years. Yeah, and, um, but, and today probably two of, two of the real big names in, um, in the men's game. So uh, Kalinikos Krianga, the great Greek player, um,'s birthday is today. Um, so he won a bronze medal at the World Championships in uh, 
in um, in Chiba in 1991 in the mixed and also a bronze medal in the singles in 2003 in Paris. And uh, that was an incredible effort by him. Um, he beat uh, Samsonov in that uh, in that tournament and was a, it's a cracking match. So, um, yeah, so Krianga's uh, birthday today. Also won um, w- World Cup singles silver medals in 2003 and 2004 um, and um, won a couple of European doubles titles, one in the doubles and one in the mixed in 92 and 94. So he's getting on. He's been around a long time. He has. He's but, certainly uh, a crowd pleaser with these amazing shots and, yeah, you can see he's had quite a lot of success. Yeah, he certainly has. And, yeah, just that amazing windmill backhand of his, uh, yeah, is, is, is probably, you know, one of the shots of table tennis. But interestingly, he started his, uh, his, his life uh, playing for Romania at the European Championships in 88 um, and uh, winning a bronze medal there in the mixed doubles. So, yeah, former Romanian, but now representing Greece. There you go. Yeah. And then... This is this is probably the biggie. Um, today is Timo Boll's birthday. Ooh, happy birthday, Timo! <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, I think Timo's um, record speaks for itself. Really, it's uh, it's an absolutely incredible um, table tennis record that he has. Um, yeah, he won a silver medal in the teams in um, at the Olympics in 2008 in Beijing, and then. Bronze medals in the teams in 2012 and 2016. Um, probably hasn't had the world championships success that he would um, really want, but uh, he did win a bronze medal at the uh, world's world singles championships in 2011. Um, he's won a couple of World Cups in 2002 and 2005, uh, and then been European champion um, on a, quite a few occasions. So. Uh, yeah, so Timo Boll, an absolute superstar of the game, and it is his birthday today, and he is whoa, 36. My goodness. Wow, there you go. That's getting old, isn't it? <laughs> it is getting old. <laughs> oh, dear. But, um, yeah, you look at his record in the European Championships, uh, very impressive. Uh, lots of goals in singles and teams and doubles. Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, the World Championships would be, yeah, just where he might have liked to have gone just a little bit better in the singles. But, like, in the teams, Germany has been extremely strong and, you know, that's a, in a big part to him. Absolutely, yeah. So the last three uh, Olympics, yeah, he's, uh, he's won three medals. So that's uh, that's nothing to uh, turn your nose up at, that's for sure. Indeed. Very good. All right. And then uh, I think there's a, a, a the- birthday coming up. Yeah, one birthday coming up, and that is uh, Steve Dayton. Now, you you guys probably don't know Steve Dayton, but he is the ITTF marketing director, and he's the man behind a lot of what is happening in the um, in the world of table tennis as far as marketing. Um, he's in charge of marketing, and and I was lucky enough to, uh, to grow up with Steve. I suppose he um, he was a youngster um, here in um, in Australia. Um, coming from a little country town where he started playing table tennis and uh, and then moved on to do um, a fair bit of coaching here in Australia and then moved on to uh, to be a development uh, manager uh, with the ITTF and now has uh, gone to the lofty heights of being the ITTF marketing director and you know 
the the changes in um, in the sport of table tennis are in no small part due to uh, the great work of Steve Dayton. So his birthday coming up on the 11th of March. Yes, indeed. And I was yeah, I was lucky enough to live with him for a few months here in Melbourne when he first moved to Melbourne. So yeah, happy birthday, Steve, and uh, keep up the good work. Excellent. All right, Alois. Well, uh, I think that brings us on to the next segment, the tip of the week. What have you got for our listeners this week? Yeah, one a little bit from left field here. So I was just reading um, an article and, and saw a quote from the uh, the fitness coach for um, one of the local uh, football teams here, as in soccer, um, Sydney FC, um, fitness coach, coach Andrew Clark. And his comment was, the best thing we can do is listen. Listen to what they feel helps them best. And then as the relationship grows, we begin to see ways we can improve a player. Um, then he mentions a player for a player like Philip Olosko. It In some areas, we may need to back off a bit and then increase other training he does. Then it's just a case of making small adjustments. And I think the, the really important thing here is that it's important uh, to listen to your self and to li- listen to what the things that you think that you really need you know it's not necessarily about what everyone else does it's about uh, the little things that you can do to make your game better you know and Andrew Clark there is talking about fitness but it pertains to all areas of your game so whether it be fitness or whether it be technical or tactical or whatever it is you need to examine things for yourself and work out ways that that you can improve your game personally. You know, table tennis is a very personal game and the the same um, solution, it doesn't necessarily apply to, to everyone. Um, you need to think a lot about your own game. And if you're a coach, you think about the players that you're, um, that you have uh, working with you and make sure that you listen to each and every one of them and, work out a personal plan for them. Yeah, very interesting. Because I guess, you know, you do have to take personal responsibility for your improvement. So it is good for you to, you know, think about your game all the time. And, you know, maybe some good ways to do that is take some video and watch watch matches back. But even just, you know, during training and playing, you can pick up a lot. Um, but I guess there's yeah. also a bit of a balance because sometimes, you know, a coach from outside might be able to see things that you don't, really pick up as well so i guess you yeah that's helpful too yeah that definitely but um i I I think you know definitely get advice from um other people and coaches and things but i think the the most important thing is that you you're just making sure that you're you're tailoring it to uh what you need personally yeah great tip excellent all right so yeah hopefully that helps you out listeners um yeah so yeah try and think more about your game and and tailor your training and to, to suit your game and what's going to help you the most. Very good. All right, let's move on to the drill of the week, Alois. Yeah, so the drill of the week this week is, again, a little bit different. So normally we're always on about, you know, making sure you, you, you're moving and getting into position and et cetera, et cetera. But our drill of the week this week is to play a game where you aren't allowed to move your feet during the rally. So... Um, once the rally starts, your feet aren't allowed to move. And I want you to play that game and start to think about tactically what works 
and also think about your own body position and, your, and the best body position that you can be in to make it work for you. So it'd be interesting to get feedback from um, from our listeners on that one because it's um, it's one that uh, can work really well and it's one that it can really open your eyes up to a few different things. But uh, I might just leave it leave it there and um, and get your feedback on uh, the drill of the week this week. So playing a game where you aren't allowed to move your feet during the rally. Yeah, this is a very interesting one, Alloy. So, yeah, I think, like you said, we'll leave it. But um, next time we come back, we can review this and we can just find out some more of your thoughts about, you know, how you came up with this idea and, you know, what sort of things you think people will get out of it. Is it, you know, tactically about placement? Is it their body position? But let's let's uh, let people go away and try this for themselves. So play a game where you aren't allowed to move your feet. Um, leave a comment on our blog at pingskills.com uh, to tell us your feedback and uh, we can discuss this one more in the next show. Excellent drill of the week, allies. All right, um, let's move on to the tournament wrap. And this week we'd really like to talk about the World Tour. So tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah, so just, um, yeah, I suppose, just talking about the, the, the World Tour current standings um, initially. So so the World Tour is made up of uh, several international tournaments. And basically what uh, the players are playing for is a, is a place in the World Tour Grand Finals at the end of the year. So they, they accumulate points. Um, during the year at each of the events, you know, the, the bigger events are worth more points. Uh, the smaller events are worth less points. Um, but um, it's quite a prestigious uh, event to uh, qualify for. So there are 16 players in total that uh, that make the World Tour Grand Finals. So 15 come off directly off the, um, the points system. So, um, uh, and, and then one... Um, the last spot is uh, for the host nation. So currently, and probably no surprise, um, Ma Long leads the World Tour standings with 500 points. Fan Zendong and uh, Dmitry Ovcharov uh, are tied in second place with 300 points. And then Yan An from China and Fang Bo um, come after them. Um, interestingly, in 16th position is uh, Samsonov. So he, at the moment, He's uh, well, actually he and Jian Tianyi from Hong Kong are tied in 15th position. So, so one of them needs to move up to to claim that 15th position. But we have the whole year of uh, of tournaments um, yet to go. But uh, but when you're watching those World Tour matches and World Tour tournaments, um, just keep in mind that that is also what the players are playing for. And then on the women's side, so after the Qatar Open. Um, Chen Meng um, leads the uh, the standings with 531 points, and Wang Menyu um, next on 300 points. and And to me, this is probably just a little bit of a look into the future for China. Um, so you know, we see that Ding Ying, Ding Ning, and um, and Lu Wen don't really f- feature there because they're Probably just reserving themselves for the for the bigger for the major tournaments, the World Championships, etc. Whereas Chen Meng and Wang Minyu, um, you know, have been really dominating um, the World Tour events, and uh, and I think you know perhaps that's where China's looking um, to in the future these these players. And then Chen Jing Tong um, is also third 
uh, tied with Sakura Mori from um, from Japan on 250 points. So, um, yeah, in- interesting tournament, um, interesting uh, standings. Mima Ito um, features in there on 100 points. Interesting, Natalia, Natalia Patika had a particularly good tournament uh, in Qatar. Um, Natalia is the uh, Paralympic athlete that um, that is that uh, has won the class 10 events the last three four events um, from Poland and um, and currently number 13 on the world tour standings on 100 points actually probably equal 10th if uh, if the truth be known because she's uh, equal uh, with Chenny Ching uh, Fen Tiang Wei and Mima Ito all on 100 points yeah excellent and I really like this format because, um, yeah, it's kind of got, you know, like this ladder that you need to be on to qualify for the tournament. So it's good for spectators and, you know, supporters to follow their players and, you know, keep a track of them and keep supporting them. So, yeah, it's really good. And um, yeah, interesting. We, yeah. Yeah. Interesting to compare it to the world ranking. So in the men's, you know, Ma Long and Fan Zendong are the two on top, but then Zhu Xin and Zhang Ke don't feature on the world tour standings. You know, they're not playing as much. Um, uh, yeah, so... Uh, and, then- and it'll be interesting to see what China does there. Are they going to play those in some more tour events to get them to qualify, or are they going to give other people opportunities? I guess we'll see over time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, yeah... Um, so the ITTF website is probably the best place for people to keep in touch with the World Tour results? Yes, it certainly is. And we'll put a link on the show notes to, uh, to where you can get those, um, that information. Perfect. Excellent. All right, so get on board. Check out the World Tour. It's a very exciting uh, set of tournaments. All right. Okay, I think that brings us up to the questions, Alois, and we've got some good ones today. Um, are you ready to answer these tough questions? Uh, certainly. Bring them on. All right, excellent. So first up is a question from Phil, and he says, does anyone change their bat depending on the opponent, or is it a bad idea because you have to learn different styles of play? Mm, good one, Phil. I... Um... My initial reaction, and in, in my initial reaction always is, no, you got to stay with the the same bat and use the same bat all the time. But you know, think thinking about it a little bit more, you know, maybe you know, if you're just looking for results, um, if you can play with long pimples or short pimples reasonably well against a different player, um, or you want to play a, a defensive style against one player. You know, maybe it's it's something to think about. At at the top level, no, it wouldn't work. You know, um, Fan Zendong uh, wouldn't be changing rackets to play against Ma Long or against Zhu Xin. But yeah, um, there's not really a big enough style difference, is there? Like um, against Ma Long or Zhu Xin, they're both kind of attacking and. So, yeah, what advantage could he get out of switching to a different racket? I can't see him, like, switching yeah. styles completely and becoming a chopper. But if he was playing against... Even if he was playing a Juicy Hook, I don't think, you know, he'd want to change his racket or or change um, change things too much. You know, the, the, the margins that those guys are playing at is so small um, that I don't think that it can work. But, um, you know, at club level... It may be something to think about if, if that's if that's where your your focus is. Um, you know, maybe it's worth experimenting, Phil. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, 
And and I guess, you know, the point is it's also, you know, about having a bit of fun sometimes. So, you know, if you want to just try some things out for some fun, then why not give it a go? But I you know, I kinda think no as well, Alice. My initial reaction is no, it's not it's not really gonna be a good idea. And I kind of think even if you do start switching around, you're probably going to find one of those styles you think is the most fun or suits you the most. So you probably end up settling back on one anyway is my kind of thoughts. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But, uh, yeah. Interesting yeah. interesting question, though. So, yeah, if anyone out there does this and switches around quite a bit, yeah, then jump onto pingskills.com and check out the blog and just leave a comment there to uh, let us know. Um, yeah, what sort of uh, different equipment you use and how you decide on what equipment you are going to use. Interesting question, Phil. All right, now Steve's got another good question for us. He says, in tennis, a small number of double faults is acceptable and a player who rarely double faults is probably not being aggressive enough with their power or placement. So Steve's wondering if there's any parallel thinking in table tennis. So should you push your serve to the point where you miss occasionally or should the server be more conservative since to miss is to lose a point? Yeah, for me, yeah, any fault is, is disastrous in table tennis. Uh, the games aren't long enough. Um, the, the, the value of the serve is, um, is pretty, pretty crucial. Um, and I think, yeah, I think if, you, if you're serving one or two faults in a game, I mean, that's, um, that's a really big, uh, big difference. So for me, <laughs> the percentage is zero that, that you need to aim for. It's an interesting sort of thought experiment, though, isn't it? And I guess, yeah, because, yeah, even in tennis, a double fold is considered pretty bad um, to give up a point. <laughs> um, and, yeah, if, you, if you're giving away two faults, that's two-point head start, that's a pretty big advantage, isn't it? But I guess what if you were more aggressive with your serve and that won you two free points, yet you only gave up one fault as opposed to being just conservative and not getting as big an advantage but then not giving up any? Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, 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 it's always about playing the percentages, isn't it? But, um, yeah, for me, I think it's just too much of a too much of a risk. But, yeah, interested yeah. to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You know, my initial impression here is that, you know, with practice, you should be able to serve pretty good serves um, without having to serve a fault. So, yeah, I think I think zero is is the number to aim for in table tennis. But uh, great question, Steve. All right, uh, next question is from Michael, who says. This coming weekend is the New York City Individual Championships and I'm coming in as the number seven seed and my brother is coming in as the number four seed. This means we are slated to play each other in the quarterfinals, but I can't find it in myself to play him since either way it hurts one of us. Are there any methods to getting over this mindset? Yeah, playing, playing a sibling is never easy and it sometimes gets ugly. Um, I think, I think, I think it's, it's a lot to do with the mindset. It's about, and and this probably translates to all the matches that you play. So, so if you're thinking about a match as, you know, trying to kill the other person or, you know, defeat the other person, then it's quite different to thinking about going out there and playing your best table tennis and, um, enjoying the contest and, um, 
And, you know, by you playing better, you're actually giving them um, the opportunity to play better and to, and to improve their game, you know. So, so if you can think of it that way, then playing a sibling doesn't get too ugly. But if you think about there's a winner and loser at the end of each game, then, um, then it can. Yeah, then it can be uh, pretty, pretty emotionally draining, I think, playing, playing a sibling, isn't it? Yeah, certainly, certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, even playing like a, you know a good friend is probably hard. Is probably hard, but then yeah, playing a sibling, maybe it's just another level. But yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that mindset though. Yeah, thinking of it of, you know, I'm just going out there to play my best table tennis, and if I play better, that's going to enable him to you know try and play his best, and and maybe if you yeah like a long term view, if you're not trying hard enough, that's not developing him as a player either. So. Yeah, I, I like that mindset. Just go out and do your best, and that's going to help both of you in the long run. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's still it's yeah, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy, Michael. Um, so good luck with that one. Um, yes. Interesting to hear how how it all turns out. And the other, I suppose, the other thing with siblings um, that often happens is that the younger the younger sibling often uh, tends to end up being a little bit better. Um, in the long run, uh, which can be really difficult for the older sibling in a lot of cases. Yeah, it it does seem like just thinking about it, that seems to be the case. Why why would that be? I think it's because the, the younger sibling gets exposed to the sport at a younger age. Um, so the older sibling, you know, might start at um, whatever, 10 years old. And um, at that stage, the younger sibling is eight. And so, you know, they've they've started two years earlier. They've got a, a bigger grounding. Um, there isn't as much pressure on the younger one either uh, with results. You know, they're, they're just a young kid. Um, so they tend to play a bit freer and easier and um, and develop quicker. So, yeah, it uh, it does happen quite a lot. And if you look at stats um, on the younger on the younger versus older, um, I'm sure you'd find that uh, the younger siblings uh, tend to end up uh, higher ranked overall. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Well, yeah, good luck at the tournament, Michael. Okay, next up is a question from Danielle. He says, in the place where I work, we're talking about uh, freeing up a room for use in our spare time and we're discussing the possibility of installing a table tennis table. So um, Daniel wants to know how much room is really needed. So what do the official rules say? And then forgetting about that, what, what do you think is a good uh, space for two players playing a serious match? And she's sort of saying, if I'm willing to sacrifice the lobbing game, but I still wish to play decently at short and mid-distance from the table, how much space do I need? Yeah, so internationally the court size um, is... 14 metres by 7 metres. That's pretty um, big. Yeah, it is. It's huge. With a, with a five, And the, the, the roof needs to be at least 5 metres above the playing surface. So so that, that's, that's absolutely huge. Um, and you'll see that in the international matches that, you know, they could, uh, they could run a marathon in there. But, <laughs> um, but at, the, at the club or, you know, office level, I think if you've got about eight metres by six metres, that's a really decent size area um, for you to play, um, to play the game. So, uh, you know, aim for that, um, you know, 10, 10 by six and you've got, you know, heaps and heaps of room to play um, at a pretty high state type level competition. Um, but, yeah, eight metres by six metres, you can play, you can play well um, and, uh, you know, you can do a lot of fancy attacking and even some lobbing. 
um, with that as well. As far as the, the roof height, it's difficult um, because, you know, in the office, it, it, you're, you're basically limited by the, uh, the, building, the building height um, of, the, of the, each story. But, um, you know, if you can get something with that's, say, two to three metres high, I mean, that's just fantastic. Yeah, and and what would you say, like, if you're in an office that only has a small room and you can only sort of just fit the table in, is it is it worth putting the table in or if you just don't have enough room, then you should just forget about it? Definitely worth putting the table in. Yeah. Uh, any table tennis is better than no table tennis. Absolutely. Good, good, good. All right, so, Danielle, hopefully uh, those answers help you out. And uh, thanks for the question. And uh, we wish you luck getting the table tennis room set up. You know, the more workplaces that can do that, the better, I say. Yeah, and probably just as a little aside, you know, um, uh, Desmond Douglas, uh, famous uh, English player, um, grew up in a in a club where he really didn't have any space behind the table and he developed his game um, by uh, by staying, well, he was forced to stay close to the table, and and um, he had incredible anticipation and uh, reflexes, and was able to to play an incredible game from really close to the table because of his um, the circumstances in which he in which he grew up. So um, you know, Danielle, if you're limited for space, maybe your game game style changes and you develop something different. Maybe, and if you haven't heard of Desmond Douglas, uh, do a bit of googling. Fantastic player. All right, uh, next up is a question from Dimmer who says, tomorrow I have a tournament and I wonder what and how table tennis players do to keep their good work. When you should come and what to eat for breakfast, how should I warm up? These are the questions and what... And so, yeah, he basically wants to know how should he prepare for a tournament, Alois? Yeah, so that's it's a really big question, Dimmer. Um, there's, there's lots of things that you need to think about. You know, the first one is, you know... Um, what what you need to wear, you know. So the the first thing is just think about making sure you're comfortable. Um, but often at tournaments you'll need to have um, either shorts or a skirt or or a dress type thing. Um, and also just examine what colour table tennis balls they're going to be using at the tournament. If they're white table tennis balls, then just make sure your shirt um, and shorts aren't predominantly white. Um, so, make, I mean, the safest thing is to just get darker colour um, and wear that. Um, then thinking about, you know, when you're going to turn up at the tournament, for me, turn up as early as you can. Um, I think it's always good to get to a tournament early so that you give yourself a bit of time to settle in, um, give yourself the opportunity to have a practice um, with uh, with someone when you're there, just getting used to the conditions um, and just getting a bit more comfortable, you know, we always feel more comfortable playing at your home home club or in the office where you know. Um, so just by arriving at the tournament early, you give yourself a little bit of time to acclimatise and, and to feel comfortable there. Um, other thing with eating, um, often at tournaments, um, there is no schedule for matches. So they'll just call you out um, to play whenever. So it's important that you eat regularly during the day. So eat Lots of uh, small meals. Um, don't plan on having a big lunch at some stage. Um, you know, take some sandwiches or some bread or some buns or those sort of things that you can snack on constantly, um, and uh, and so that you can eat 
eat regularly during the day. You know, you, you might find that there is a period where um, you can work out that you're not going to play for a little while, and then then you might be able to get some time to go and uh, get get a more substantial meal. But but be prepared and take. Um, a good supply of food with you um, of, of those little snacks, you know, not too much sugary stuff, but um, things with uh, some good carbs in there um, that uh, that will keep you going during the day. Good tips. Um, and drinking? Yeah, drinking water is good. Um, I mean, you don't really need any of those sports drinks too often. I mean, you might have one during the day perhaps, um, but, uh, yeah, just make sure you you're drinking a lot of water during the day. And, and again, be prepared, you know, take your water bottle with you um, so that you've got it on hand and you know how much water you're drinking um, during the day. If, you, if you're relying on going out and having to buy water or going to the drinking tap or whatever it is, sometimes you just don't do it. But if you've got your water bottle next to you, um, it's just easier. And, and that um, hydrating um, needs to start the day before as well. So don't just think about, oh, I'll get to the tournament and then I'll start drinking. Make sure the day before that you're uh, well hydrated, um, especially if you're in a, in a hotter climate. Um, that, that day before hydrating is, is really important. Good tips. And, yeah. then, and then what about preparing for the actual matches? Yeah, so at the tournament, as I said, you, you probably you often just get called up uh, you know, randomly or not randomly, but um, when they when they need you, and you don't really have much um, preparation time. So during the day, if you haven't played for half an hour or an hour, just get out onto the tables if you can and just have a hit for five minutes just to keep your touch. Um, and then when you do get called, just take a minute or two just to prepare yourself both mentally and physically. You know, you might just. Um, do a few uh, physical warm-ups, just do a little bit of jogging, your general warm-ups that you normally do before a, a game or a match. Um, and then when you get out onto the table, um, use utilise that two-minute warm-up well. You know, make sure you're active during that warm-up, getting your feet going, your legs going, your your eyes going, um, and getting feel for the ball before you before you start the match. So, so those little things are really important um, on the day, just to make sure that you're that you're always always aware that you could be playing, and make sure that you're you're ready to play. Yeah, absolutely, good tips. And I guess um, the other thing is, yeah, when you get there early, if you do get a time to warm up and hit beforehand, it's good to practice a lot of sort of serving and third ball as well, because that's quite important during the during each match. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so at, at the start of the day, especially when you get there, um, you know, you've got there nice and early, make sure you have a, a really good hit up. Um, you know, if you can stay on the table for half an hour or 40 minutes or so, that, that'd be ideal. And progress from doing some just controlled hitting just so that you start to get the feel for the place, feel for the table and the floor, etc. Don't try and, you know, go flat out from the start. Um, do a lot of controlled hitting for the first five or ten minutes, but progress your skills through to um, a game-type situation. So, yeah, as Jeff said, practice your serving, practice your third ball, and then even just play some practice games with someone uh, before the uh, the actual tournament starts and before you play your first official match. That's that's really important to get yourself in the right um, right frame of mind. Great idea. Excellent. All right, well, thanks for the question, Dimmer, and good luck with your tournament. And for anyone out there who hasn't been to a tournament and is thinking, should I go, should I not, just get out there and do it. It's a great experience. You'll love it. You'll learn more about your game and playing different styles. So, yeah, give it a go. 
All right, uh, that wraps up show 281. Again, thank you, listeners. Uh, we love getting your questions and answering them on the show. You can um, ask a question on the Ask the Coach page of the Ping Skills website. So go to pingskills.com and ask us your questions. Thank you, everyone, and thank you, Alloys. Thanks, Jeff, and uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back with a show very shortly. Bye.